0: With me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. look at Isaiah chapter 40 and 43 in connection with Lord's Day 9 of our Catechism. We looked at the first few sections of Isaiah 40 some weeks ago with Lord's Day 1. Now you want to zoom in on verses 12 and following. These verses speaking of the wonder of God's sovereignty in creating the world and of his sovereignty over the world to this very day. Page 762, if you're using our Adoration Bible, 762. Isaiah chapter 40. God is speaking a word of comfort. He said in verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And now in verse 12, he says by the prophet, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains? He who is to impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an isle that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes his rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Turn a few pages over also to Isaiah chapter 43. Look at the first seven verses. These verses also in connection with our confession. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob... I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So far, God's holy word. May he bless that to us this morning. Turn with me also to Lord's Day 9 in our Forms and Prayers books, page 210. Lord's Day 9 in the Catechism continues to take us along the path of Christian comfort. And particularly now, as it delves into the articles of the Apostles' Creed, coming to the first article, our belief in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We're going to make this confession together. I'll read the question. We'll confess our answer together. Lord Zanai, in question answer 26, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? that the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for, for body and soul, and will turn to my good, whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. This the church does believe. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in a world that abounds with worry and anxiety, the Lord Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. He asks his disciples, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If God so feeds the birds of the air, if he clothes the lilies of the field, will he not also provide for you? Are he not a far greater value than they, he asks? According to Jesus' congregation, we can leave worrying to the world. And the reason for that is found here in Lord's Day 9 of our catechism. You can leave worrying to the world because your heavenly Father cares for you. It always strikes me that it's in a sad world like this. It's in a world that our catechism aptly describes as a veil or as a valley of tears that we make this confession. It always strikes me that it's in a world like this where you and I continue to to fall into sin each and every day that, that we confess here on church on Sunday and that we live on Monday. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And I believe that he is my God, that he is my father for the sake of Christ, his son. Boys and girls, it's no small thing to confess. We confess here in Lord's Day 9 of the Catechism. Christ wants you to understand that this morning. It's no small thing that when mom and dad ask you who made you, that you respond, God made me. Because we live in a world where people shudder at the very thought. We live in a world where the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And so it's no small thing, boys and girls, that you say, oh, yes, there is. And he is my God, and he is my father for the sake of Christ, his son. Lord's Day 9, you see, provides for us the remedy for our worry, because Lord's Day 9 reminds us again that God has not abandoned us in this sad world. He has not left us to drown in this veil of tears. But after God created the heavens and the earth, he continued to uphold and rule the heavens and the earth. He continued to uphold and rule all things so that in Jesus Christ we might be called his sons and daughters. One of the reasons it's nice to use the the Forums and Prayers books, is because we can see in our catechism with these books the the logic of each question and answer. And what you see here, when you look at Lord's Day now, if you were to diagram this sentence, what you'd find is that the heart of our confession is this, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. And so you can be sure that he will care for you. He is your creator. He is your caretaker. He is your comforter. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's what our catson shows us this morning as well. And so you can trust God. You can trust God this morning. Because the almighty creator of the universe also created you. You can trust God this morning because the faithful caretaker of the universe is also taking care of you. You can trust God this morning because as the only comforter in all the universe, he will surely continue to comfort you. Your heavenly father cares you. That's what Christ is saying to us today. That's what Christ was, was saying to his people in the days of Isaiah. When we looked at this chapter in connection with Lord's Day 1 a number of weeks ago, we directed most of our focus to the first 11 verses of that chapter For God had given the prophet a message of comfort to proclaim to a people who thought that that all comfort was gone, that comfort was lost in the world. The people of Israel, you see, are despondent. They are heavy in their hearts because on account of their sins, God is going to give them into the hands of captivity. The temple is going to be destroyed. The articles of the temple are going to be brought to Shinar, to the house of Babylon's gods. Families are going to be torn apart. Persecution is coming. And as we saw time and again in the life of Daniel, God's people are going to endure ridicule. They're going to endure the pain of being displaced and out of place in a hostile world. But it's in the midst of all these things that the God who created Israel now speaks to Israel and says, Look to me. That's the resounding message of Isaiah time and again. Behold your God. Behold your God. Although the the grass withers and the flower falls, the word of God endures forever. Behold your God. He comes with might. Behold your God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart. One preacher described this chapter by saying that Isaiah 40 is like having a house with a room with a very small window. But through that small window, the view to the outside is magnificent. That view, even though you can only see it through this small window, is nevertheless breathtaking and filled with hope. Isaiah 40 is like that window. Israel finds herself in a dark room, as it were, but Isaiah is summoning them to to look out the window, to see who their God really is. In verses 12 through 28, the prophet is is very aware of how weak and feeble the faith of Israel is. He knows what they've been saying in their hearts. Verse 27, they've been saying, "My, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. And so it's almost as though the prophet is anticipating the questions. Comfort, comfort, how can we be sure? How can we be sure that God is both able to keep these promises on the one hand, nonetheless desirous to do so on the other? And Isaiah, by the Spirit of Christ, begins to answer those questions by asking questions of his own. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? And who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? What man has shown him God's counsel? Whom did did God consult? Who made God understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer, of course, is no one. God didn't need any consultation. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from foundations of the earth? Lift your eyes on high. Who created all these things? Each of these questions you see is aimed at bringing Israel back to the reality Back to the reality that even though a trail of tears awaits them, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah is saying that there is no one in all the earth who can be compared to our God and Father, to the Lord, strong and mighty. And by God's grace, congregation, the fullness of his Son, we have come to know that this God, this creator of the universe is also our God, that he is even our Father for the sake of Christ his Son. And because of Christ and by the powerful working of his Spirit, we've been given faith to believe that this world did not simply come into existence by some accidental clashing of particles in some big bang some millions of years ago. Sadly, we live in that world. We live in a world where People believe that very thing in a world that's been infiltrated with atheism, with people who say there is no God. We live in the world of the psalmist where people say there is no God, and where that foolishness is not characteristic of only a small minority of the population, but of the vast majority of the population. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't honestly believe that, do you? The world says. Don't you believe in science, the world says? Of course, congregation, we do believe in science. You recognize the importance and even the calling to to study creation, to learn why things are the way they are and how things operate in this created world that God has given us to subdue, to, to have dominion over. But we engage in that pursuit from a very different starting point, don't we? We engage in the study in light of the reality that it wasn't some accidental cosmic clashing together of particles that, that brought the world into existence, but rather it was from the very beginning into the p- very present day that it was the cosmic Christ through whom God created the universe. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith, we confess with the psalmist, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts, by the breath of his mouth, Psalm 33, verse 6. And by faith, congregation, we've come to take rest in the reality that the Almighty, Creator of the universe, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, also created you. He also created me. And that's significant. That's significant because what it means is that you and I aren't accidents. That's significant because what it means is that you weren't some afterthought. But rather, from before the foundation of the world, your Heavenly Father set out to create you and to redeem you in His Son for His own glory. And so, from the very moment when you were conceived, the God who made you did not abandon you. He from the very first moments of your existence, began knitting you together in your mother's womb, forming your inward parts. All your days having been written in his book, even when as yet there were none of them, as the psalmist says. And so we say with David, I praise God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, because God made us. And now he speaks to us, even as he spoke to Israel so long ago, saying, not only have I created you, but I am... I am still taking care of you. We confess that the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who who out of nothing created the heavens and earth and all that is in them, still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence. God does not and he will not abandon you in this sad world, in this veil of tears. He didn't create the universe only to to take a step back from the universe, simply to to watch as the events of history out played out before his eyes. But he continued to uphold and to rule all things by his eternal counsel and providence. And because we know that God did not take a step back from the universe, we also know for sure this morning that God has also not taken a step back from us either. When we confess that God continues to to uphold and rule all things by his eternal counsel and providence, that, that includes us too. God came to uphold and rule over us as well. God has not taken a step back from us. But as the faithful caretaker of the universe, his promise is that he will always and forever take care of us. Nothing is outside of his control. Nothing comes our way by chance or by happenstance. Nothing comes our way that God will not ultimately work together for our good. And that's what God was also saying to the people of Israel so long ago. The prophet says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It is he who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The nation, says Isaiah, are like a drop from the bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Commenting on these verses, J.I. Packer in his Knowing God writes, What puny figures you and I are by comparison with the whole planet on which we live. And yet, what is this entire mighty planet in comparison to God? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. The world dwarfs us all, but God dwarfs the world. The world is his footstool above which he sits secure. In other words, the Lord reigns, people of God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And yet in his grace and mercy, he continually intervenes in human history on behalf of his people, bringing the princes of the world to nothing, setting up his own king in Zion to, to rule over his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point the prophet is making congregation is simply to say that this incomparable God, the God to whom no one in all the world can be compared, this, the incomparable one, cares for us. And in his grace and mercy, he provides for us whatever we need for body and soul, promising to turn to our good, whatever adversities he sends our way in this veil of tears. Do you take comfort in that this morning? Your God is the incomparable God who sees you, who knows you, who cares for you far more than you can ever begin to fully imagine. In fact, he cares for you in such a way that he speaks to you as his own sons and daughters. He doesn't speak to you as servants, doesn't speak to you as slaves. Doesn't speak to you as criminals like you deserve to be spoken to. But he speaks to you as sons and daughters. Do you know what he says to us, boys and girls? Do you know what God says to us, his sons and daughters? The caretaker of the universe says to each one of us, if I am for you, then who can be against you? What shall separate you from the love that I have for you in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or persecution or danger or famine or nakedness or sword? Knowing all these things, says God, you are more than conquerors because I love you for the sake of Christ, my son. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman makes it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold. He who has no money finds a block of wood and carves an idol out of it, a statue that cannot move. That's what the world is doing all around the people of Israel, and here God is challenging Israel, and He's challenging us to us to say, "Do you think I'm like that? Do you really think I'm like the deaf and dumb gods of the world?" Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the starry host one by one. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Congregation, don't forget the context in which the prophet is writing. Isaiah is writing these words to comfort the people of Israel. The point that Isaiah is trying to make is not simply to say that God is sovereign over the world. God is sovereign over the world. But his point is to say to Israel here and now that that God is not only sovereign over the world, but God is sovereign to save. God is sovereign to save his people because he cares for his people. So next time you begin to wander in your hearts, if God still cares for you, the Lord Jesus says, look at the stars in the skies. And remember that it was God who put them there. It was God who put them there. Not one of them is missing. Congregation, if God doesn't lose track of the stars, if he doesn't lose track of the stars, if not even one of them is missing, do you think it possible that he would ever lose track of you? Does he not also know your name? Has he not also called you by name? Is that not one of you would be missing? So why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Why would you ever say in your hearts, O saints of adoration you are See, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who does not faint or grow weary, whose understanding is unsearchable? who gives power to the faint, who gives strength to the weak. Have you not known, have you not heard this God who says, I will be with you? Congregation, what God is saying to us this morning is that not one of us has been overlooked. Not one of us has gotten lost in the shuffle. If you're here this morning feeling as though you're invisible, that, that your ways become hidden by God, hidden from God, that your cause is disregarded by God, hear me this morning. God sees you. And God knows you. God knows you even better than you know yourself. And he's working all things together for your good. The plans that he has for you, in fact, are even better than the plans that you can make for yourself. The caretaker of the universe also takes care of you. And is the only comforter of the universe, he surely comforts you. Israel's way was not hidden from their Father in heaven. Israel's cause has not been disregarded by their God. To reassure them of that, God goes on to speak to Israel in the subsequent chapter, saying, for example, in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Don't you know that I have chosen you? I have not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous hand. And then in chapter 42, the Lord foretells his chosen servant, the Lord Jesus, who will bring justice and peace to the nations. And as the God of all comfort speaks to this bruised people, as he speaks to a people whose faith is feeble. He tells him to look forward to this promised Savior of whom, he says, a bruised reed he will not break. and a faintly burning wick, he will by no means snuff out. And then we come to Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. The same God who spoke the world into existence also spoke Israel into existence. He created them with his own two hands, as it were. And now he speaks to not only have I created you, but I have also redeemed you. And now you are twice mine. I was reminded of a story of a young boy who had poured his heart and soul into designing and building a small toy sailboat. And one day he placed that sailboat in the quiet waters of the river and ran alongside that sailboat along the banks of the river until suddenly the winds picked up and threw the sailboat onto some rocks and the sailboat was lost under the rapids of the river. And so the boy returned home, very sad for his loss. But then one day, as he was walking down the street, he saw his repaired sailboat sitting in a display window. With with enthusiasm and excitement, he, he went into the store and says, You found my boat. Can I please have it back? But the owner responded, I'm sorry. That boat now belongs to me. If you want it, you'll have to buy it back. But for this young boy, it wasn't even a question. He ran home and emptied his piggy bank and quickly returned to the shop to buy it back. And as he returned to his house, he hugged his toy boat, saying, Now you are twice mine, for not only did I create you, but I also bought you. And that's what God is saying to his people here for the sake of Christ, his son. Now you are twice mine. Not only have I created you, but have I, I've also bought you back. I've also redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. It's important for us to recognize, boys and girls, that what we confess here on Lord's Day 9 hasn't come free, at least not to God. Yes, the eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is my God and Father. But for you and me to be able to say that this morning, God had to pay the price that we could never pay on our own. God had to provide for us so we could not otherwise provide for ourselves. And so notice again, people of God, just how it is that we make this confession. Yes, the eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is my God and Father. Why? How? only for the sake of Christ his Son. You see, we don't know God as Father unless we first come to know Christ as brother. We don't come to know God as Father unless we first come to know Christ as brother, Christ who, who came to this earth, who was sent by the Father to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we couldn't endure to die. So that we who were once orphans to sin might become adopted sons and daughters to God. And because you are his, because you are his, God says, fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Because you are his, he gives his people this great word of assurance that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We need to understand from this Lord's Day, this morning, that the promise of the gospel is not always that we'll be comfortable. The promise isn't that that we'll never endure adversities and trials. The promise of the gospel isn't that adversities will never come our way. But the promise of the gospel is that God will stay with you when they do. And he'll comfort you in the midst of them. The almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who still upholds and and rules the heavens and the earth, by his eternal counsel and providence, continues to, to uphold you too. And it's on that solid foundation, people of God, that that we make our confessions on that solid foundation, that God is indeed upholding and ruling all things, that he's upholding and ruling you and me, that, that the believer makes his confession. I trust God. I trust God so much, I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. It's on that foundation of his eternal counsel and providence that we make our confession this morning. I trust God so much. I do not doubt that he will turn to my good. whatever adversity has come my way in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. But there's more to it than that. He even desires to do this. He desires to do this because he is also our faithful father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's what we confess. That's our comfort in a world of anxiety and worry. That's the remedy, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the the maker of heaven and earth, who made you and me, who cares for you and me, who comforts you and me this morning. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you in the morning of this day thankful for the great grace that you have shown to us in your Son. We come before you thankful that we are indeed your sons and daughters, that you not only created us, but you continue to care for us. And that you comfort us with words of comfort, that we need not fear, for you are with us. That you have called us by name, that we are yours. Father, we pray that you would press these promises upon us. That in those days when we feel as though we have been forgotten, in those days when we feel as though we have been overlooked or lost in the shuffle, that we would be always mindful that you see us, that you know us, that you know our name. And that if you don't lose track of the stars, then surely you'll never lose track of us either, not for the sake of Christ your Son. Father, we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.